the um, the thing, the, the the difficult thing, obviously, as we as we you know you work through these scriptures, is uh, it's a lot like our lives, and that uh, you know <laughs> it's good, 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 then bad, bad, bad. As you you know, it's it's difficult to because this part that we're in, you know, we're we, we've kind of been in this phase where we're, we're trying to figure out what it means to be a missional church and we're looking at Acts and, and you see these people and they're all just, they're just partying for the Lord. It's just unbelievable what's going on. God's bringing a bunch of people that come to know the Lord. I mean, it's just unbelievable, amazing things going on in Acts. And, uh, now we've come up to a hard story, you know, and it's very, very, very like our lives. And, uh, and as I was studying this this week, um, you know, as I always come to you, I just, I, I rarely want to say anything to you that I don't feel convicted about, you know? I just feel that kind of be hypocritical. And, and I was just pretty, pretty laid out this week about some things that are in this, in this, uh, scripture. Uh, and so, let's just pray for some real supernatural intervention for all of us today as we approach the, the word and ask that the Lord would really reveal himself through my very feeble words, you know. I think that'd be good, don't you? Okay, let's do it. Lord, thank you um, for uh, your son that you sent us. And Jesus, we we thank you for coming. And we thank you for living and for teaching us and for dying and for coming to life. And now the now we know that you sit at the right hand of the Father. And we feel uh, many times as a people, Lord, we... We uh, find it easy to uh, be like the people in the story today. Um, and uh, yet you love us and you care about us and you bring such a power and a message to our lives. And I pray this morning that you would move in our hearts and that it wouldn't be a, it, it would not at all depend on a preacher, but it would, it would depend on your supernatural influence, your power, your word that you want to use in and, and through our lives to, to just do a work as, as, uh, we so badly need. And so we depend on it. We hope that you hear the, the, the cries of your son this morning as I, I cry out to you and ask you for mercy and grace and strength this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. The one thing that I wanted to talk with you about this morning is this concept right here, this concept called divergence. You know, I talk, I talk with you a lot about this concept, but these are the two points that we're going to hit on today. And what, one of the things that I guess I, I, I want to talk with you about is, is, is remember that, um, the, the, when you, when you look through, uh, redemptive history, when you start back in, when you start back in Genesis and you go all the way through Revelation, you see this, this distinction, this, that, that God has for his people, that there's a different way that we think and do life than even the rest of the world. And, 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 and so this, this concept is, is is very difficult for us because we live in a modern society, a very secular society that says this is how you live, this is what you think about, this is what you value, all these things. And yet, when you go to the scriptures and you see this, then it's obviously it's it's not even a mirror. It's just very it's like the total other way. You know, if the if the path is here and, and you know Jesus came and now the path is is absolutely the opposite way of everything. And I think sometimes that that has a tendency to really get under our skin to tell you the truth. It gets under mine. 
Because I just go, well, I'm, you know, I'm kind of living this life, and and how do I understand this thing? What are you, what are you, what are you doing, Lord? You know. And so today, I want to talk to you about this concept of divergence, this concept of being very dissimilar, this concept of deviating, you know, deviation from from the normal thing that we hear, you know, in our world. And you, we see here. And I guess before I wanted to get into five, I wanted to pick apart verse thirty-two of chapter four. Are you there? Um, and I, I know we already talked about this, but I, I had to hit on this before we went to the di- divergent message. Let's look at what's going on with this, di- this divergent people. Look what it says there. And all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any, uh, that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Unbelievable things were happening here. Much grace was upon them all, and there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was dis- distributed to anyone as he had a need. Well, obviously, there's there's unbelievable and crazy things that are going on, and, and, and what, what would possess a group of people to suddenly just say, well, my time and, and, and my stuff and, and my cars and the stuff I have in my home, is it's just all in. I'm just all in. Whatever's mine is, is all yours. We're, we're, something was going on. And what I want to talk with you, with you about this first piece here is what it means, and let's look at what it means to actually be this kind of this divergent people like they are. Because they're, they're walking a completely different path here. And throughout history, as I told you, God has desired to set apart a people that would live very divergent lives. That's an important piece to understand as you look at the Bible. That's His desire. That God has a desire that, that he, would set the, he would gather a group of people from, from Adam and Eve, children of Israel, and that they would walk a different path, almost a, in a different, whole different kingdom, a whole different economy. You follow? And these people, these divergent people, would occupy the same planet with the rest of mankind, but their values and their understandings and their lifestyles and their attitudes were completely different than the world. In fact, so different that Paul calls these people, us, he calls us, we're strangers and aliens in the world. Okay? What does it mean to be an alien, all you sci-fi people? You lost, it's lost sci-fi. Michael, Holly, is lost sci-fi? It's not, is it? It's, oh, it's real. I love that, Chad. I love that you said that. It is real, dude. I tell you, you talk with some of these people about it. They, they, they talk to you like it's real, you know. And that's great. Can you imagine? I mean, the thought that Paul says you're aliens and strangers in the world. I mean, what in the world? You know, what, what are we, Martians? Well, if you, if you think about that, that image, it, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, come on, I mean... We're, we're to be that different? I remember when I was a, 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 uh, about eight, about 17, 18, we moved. I had been, you know, kind of white boy, raised in white suburb, uh, pastor's kid. We moved back to Detroit, Michigan when I was about 17, and we met some, some guys that were Christ followers that were, uh, uh, just some African-American brothers that I ended up loving, just loving. They were just the most phenomenal guys. And I was a white kid. 
And uh, they asked me one day, they said, hey, why don't you come on down to the city and hang out with us for a weekend? I'd never done that in my life. You know, and I went, that'd be awesome. You know, so I went down there and guess what? I realized really fast that I was living in a completely and utterly different world. Really fast. When she served breakfast in the morning, when mama served breakfast, by the way, mama wasn't just the mama of those boys. Mama was the mama of me now that I'm in her house. And all the boys in the neighborhood, she's mama. My mama was my mama, but that's a different deal, okay? But when I sat down, she gave me breakfast. She gave me grits. I'd never ate grits before in my life. I said, oh, that's cream of wheat. You know what cream of wheat is? And I went and put sugar on them. And they laughed. They thought it was the most funny thing. I said, what's the problem? They said, well, you don't put sugar on grits. I said, what do you mean? I'm a free man. I can do what I want, you know. <laughs> the idea was you put salt and, salt and pepper, right, on, on grits, you know. And I was introduced to collard greens and beautiful food, just unbelievable, awesome, black-eyed peas, loved them. But the most unbelievable shift in, do you want to talk about difference of a world I was in, was when I went and the guy said, let's go play basketball. Right? We went down to this neighborhood basketball place, man. I'm telling you, no nets. Didn't matter. Bunch of guys waiting. I mean, it's like a doggone, you know, stadium. Everybody's there and they're waiting to get the game, you know. So we finally get on the game and I get the ball and I'm playing, I'm playing point guard. And the one, this one guy comes up and he looks at me and he goes, come on, chump, bring it. And I go, oh. I was like, oh my gosh, nobody's ever said that to me before on the basketball court. All of us white boys kind of play this real sterile basketball, kind of like Hoosiers. Ooh, you know, like nobody, nobody looks at you and says, do it, you know, what, you know, what's that take, you know, and I just was like, wow, you know, this is the concept, this is the concept of divergence. This is the concept. Many of you have gone to a different country and you've sensed divergence. You sense a whole different culture of people. You see values, lifestyle, attitudes. They're different. And this is the concept that God has for his people. And when Jesus came in the midst of this whole thing, this is, let's just put that right there. When Jesus comes in the midst of history, Now he comes and he says, let's make this really clear about how I want you to live about let, let me talk to my people and I want, I want you to be crystal (laughs) about stuff. And some of the stuff he says is really hard because he, he looks at us and he says this, he says, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery, but I say what I say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart. You've committed adultery. Big time different path. You've heard it said that you can hate your enemies. Love your neighbor, hate your enemies. I say, love your enemies. Right? You follow? Totally different. Then Jesus comes and then he starts. That, that's that's kind of like, that's easy for us to take in that stuff. Okay, well. Well, I can love my enemies. I'll try. But then he starts talking about stuff that we, there's kind of hits us at home when he says in Matthew 13, he says in the parable of the sower, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out. 
So now Jesus is starting to talk about our inner world a little bit. And he's starting to go, you mean the things I actually worry about and think about? You want to be a, you want to tell me how to think too? You want to get into my pocketbook? Hey. But I think that that's an important piece as we talk about what it means to be a divergent people. We're talking about this. We're talking about, we, we, we look at our, our lifestyles. We look at the things we value. We look at our stuff. We look at our money. Hmm. Actually, my oldest, uh, I wasn't in the house, but she, um, she had swallowed something and when she was like four or five years old and she was choking. And uh, obviously the family, this is like a father and mother's worst nightmare, something like this. So we're trying everything, you know, the Heimlich and on her chest and, you know, the whole thing. She can't get this out. She's starting to turn blue and we're just losing it, you know. And finally Shelly's dad looks looks at her and says, you know, we better do it like a trachea, what, tracheotomy? Is that what that's called or whatever? You take a pen and just stick it in the throat so you get an airway. So we're just about ready to do that. And one final Heimlich and she spit out a coin. I think it was a nickel. You know, in, in a very strange way, I think that in many ways we are like Ashley. And follow the illustration. We are choking Christians who, like little children, have swallowed the coins of this world and then we try to figure out why it's so difficult to breathe. Isn't it true of us? We worry. Are you kidding me? We are the classic. We are the worst of worriers. Christians Christians are not in any way, shape, or form different than the world as it relates to the worries of life. If you want to talk about a way that you could be distinct from the world, this would be one of the ways. But are you kidding me? The world doesn't hear this message from us at all. We love to worry. Worry is an addiction for almost all of us. It's a best friend. And yet it's one of the things that Jesus says, this is one of the things that's going to choke you out. It's going to take away the air. It's one of the things that he says that as a divergent people, this would be something that you wouldn't be wanting to take a part of. The words of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. You know, sometimes, uh, just as a side note, sometimes I think church is like the Heimlich maneuver. I think church is the Heimlich giver. I think church is a finally a way for uh, those of us who go out and we live our lives and we don't get a lot of truth during the week. We struggle with doing our quiet time and we struggle with, take, you know, going, you know, whatever the case may be. And sometimes we swallow the coins of the world. We swallow the coins of secularization. We swallow the coins of modern society. And sometimes it's just good to come into a place where you can just kind of somebody grab us and just go, go you know, kind of the word of God, just pop and let those coins come out, right? It's a good thing to think about. And by the way, that's a really beautiful thing about friendship too. It's a really beautiful thing about community, too. It's what community does for us, too, is we help each other spit out the coins of this ugly place that we live in, which, by the way, we're called strangers in. We're not two strangers, are we? It's a hard message for us today. Trust me, it was difficult for me, too. It's just as difficult. Somebody has said this, the process of secularization in modern society has led us to focus a great deal of energy on the worries of this life and has thus rendered us uniquely susceptible to being deceived in the manner that Jesus suggests. And I think that's true. These believers in Acts were not 
choking Christians at this point that we read this scripture in in Acts 4 that I just read. They were not. They had heard the teachings. Now this is follow. This is important to get. This is really crucial that you lean and listen to this because there's some wording here that's important for us all to get. And here's what it is. They had heard the teachings of Jesus and responded to him by exactly intending to do what he taught about life, money, stuff, worries, whatever. Did you get that? They had responded to Jesus by exactly intending to do what he said about life. In other words, Jesus now transfers from being the God of parents, the good, the good guy who says good things, the prophet, the guy that Jesus, the son of God, but I don't, I don't really know what he wants for my life. He's transferred from that to actually being the actual master and master teacher and my actual discipler of my life, my mentor, my king, everything. Do you follow? That's how they were able to say, okay, you know what? I actually believe what Jesus has said. I actually believe what Jesus said in his parables. So in some way, there was some transference in their thinking and in their mind that says, this is the real deal. That's such a crucial point for us because it goes to the question of what are you doing with Jesus? What is the role that he plays in your life and in my life? When I was a young boy, at the age of about six, my dad's view of the world was the gospel view of the world. Absolute, unarguable, in the way that I wanted. Not not in the sense that this is how it is, son. I just thought it was awesome. If we would go to the zoo and my dad were to stand there and said, look at those big creatures in there with big ears and a big old long trunk and they're just massive animals. And I would say, Dad, what are those? Son, those are pink monkeys. And I'd say, pink monkeys. Pink monkeys, got them down on my pad. I'm going over to my boys, transfer over three days later. We're playing G.I. Joes. You know, something you guys don't know about. Not Barbies. G.I. Joes. And I would say, hey guys, do you know what those big things are at the zoo? You know, those big animals with trunk and big ears and, you know, there's just giant. He said, yeah, those are elephants. I said, no, they're not. Those are pink monkeys. They look at me and go, isn't that, isn't that a stupid illustration to, to illustrate the point of that's exactly what was going on with these people. So when Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies, they were going, those are the monkeys then. I'm going to do that. Do you follow? When Jesus said, don't worry about life. You're getting choked by the worries of this life. Good grief. Can you imagine the list you and I would be able to put up right now? Can you imagine all of us putting up our worries? Don't, good grief. Don't. I'm Lord. Don't get, don't get strung out on the deceitfulness of your money. What are you telling yourself about your money? Do you follow? That's what was going on. And it's such a, it's a principle that I'm really frustrated in my life that I don't have enough of. (laughs) I'm not taking Jesus at face value enough. You too? 
What would it look like if we were to join this divergent people, if we were to be in this community? What would, what would that look like? Well, for all of us, it'd look very different. Some of us, it'd look like we'd give a lot more money. Some of us, it'd look like we'd give a lot more time because we'd be committed to the Jesus agenda, what Jesus has said about giving your life away. See, Jesus, you guys, it's important that you hear this. This is what's called, uh, what, I, what you've heard me talk about when I talk to you about what's called a plausible Christology. Plausible meaning believable. Christology meaning what we believe about Christ, Christo, the King. What we believe about Him is going to absolutely affect everything in our lives. It's important. So, well, that's the divergent people. Let's get down to the divergent message, and I'll finish with this second point. Look at there at Acts 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And it kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land, for the land. Didn't it, all, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Oh, ouch. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. That's strong. That makes us not love God, does it? I mean, look at that. How could God do that, right? And great fear seized all who heard what had happened, I would imagine so. Then the young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. I would imagine, I can't imagine what the conversations were with those guys. Verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. He gave her a chance, didn't he? Tell the truth. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down and at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church. Who and all who heard about these events. So we're just like them. At least I am. Here's some irony for you. Ananias' name in Hebrew meant Yahweh is gracious. Sapphira's name in Hebrew meant beautiful, like the rock sapphire. Well, obviously this wasn't a very graciously beautiful thing that they did, was it? Does it sound like your life? Does it sound like mine? And if that's the case, why in the world aren't we all dead? Because, boy, I'm, I'm filled with hypocrisy. What's going on here? What's the problem? Let me walk you through this real quick. The sin wasn't that Ananias and Sapphira had kept for uh, themselves some of the money. No one had said that they had to give anything, let alone everything. That wasn't the mandate going on here. Peter, however, knew that they had lied about what they gave. The sin was that they didn't tell the truth about the gift that they gave. 
They pretended to give all the proceeds of the sale of the property to the church, but in reality kept a portion for themselves. That's called deception. That's called hypocrisy. That's called describing my life in a nutshell. My outer self does not match with my inner self. Do you feel my pain? You should. We all are like this. It's difficult for us to understand, isn't it, that God in the fragile state of this kind of thing that's going on with the church could actually take people out, but he had a purpose for it. It's easy for us to sometimes take the word and think of being a hypocrite and think that these are kind of just a light thing, but obviously God places a great deal of importance on honesty and what's really going on in our hearts, our inner self versus our outer self. Jesus used the term hypocrite 17 times in the New Testament. And he used it, actually it's used in Greek literature as that of an actor on stage. And when you look through the Gospels, he specifically calls the the Pharisees hypocrites. But let me tell you what Jesus is concerned about and the Lord is concerned about. Follow this. The Lord is concerned about matching the inmost self with the outer self. Do you follow? The Lord is concerned about this, this matching what's going on in here with what's going on outward. When I read this scripture this week, I've got to confess to you. I know I confess every Sunday, but it's probably good that I do. I've got to confess to you that I was really, really, really convicted about my life. About just the fact of, does it, do, do I, is it matching? Because you could think that even me standing up here before you today, that it's just all good all together. Right? Just a perfect little bag of chips. Everything's great. Crunching good. What a bunch of crap that is. And I was really, really convicted because I thought, you know, some of the things that I think about and that I really have. Now, follow this, men specifically. I want to, you know, I want to pick on you for a minute. Some of the things that are in the deepest, dark regions of my mind, where sin usually starts and gets premeditated there. Does anybody know about that area? Does anybody know about that? Young lady, the same thing for you. Does anybody know about that? The inward self. I went on a website this week and they, I, it, was the, it was an atheist website. I wanted to purposely go on and I wanted, to, I wanted to find out what they think about us, us being believers. By the way, if you're here today and you're not a believer in the, gospel, in, in, in the Lord, you, maybe you haven't heard the gospel before. I want you to know that Jesus Christ died for you. He rose again and he offers you the chance by faith to come to him and become a part of the people of God. That is a faith invitation to you. God may be drawing you even today to do that. And if that's the case, please talk with me afterwards. But I want you to understand something. That this is an important piece as we talk about this concept of what's really going on in our lives. And this idea of matching the inmost self with the outer self isn't what Ananias and Sapphira cared about. Follow this. They were the classic examples of choking Christians. 
because in some way what they were concerned about, what would make them do this? Because Peter, obviously, it was revealed to Peter that they didn't give the whole thing. The Lord must have revealed this to Peter because Peter said to them, I mean, I had this holy interrogation, you didn't give it all. So in some way, in some dark corner of their world, they had come to the place where they had valued. What I value the most is, is if I bring my offering in and I lay it at the disciples' feet and everybody will look at me and I'll say, and Peter will say, well, is that everything? And I'll go, that's everything. And everybody go, good, that's everything, everything. Because everybody else was given everything. And so what they obviously valued at that point was, well, I value that you know that I gave, that you think I gave everything when I didn't give everything. So what was the value? The value was I care about what you think about me versus what I care about what God thinks about me. And isn't that us? It is totally us. That's where we place the value. They place the greatest value on the outer self versus the inner self. And I can't tell you enough how important it is for us to be developing far more than we are the interior self. And somewhere in the darkest regions of their heart, they were deeply fearful and they were deceived. So, what's the message? Here's the message. Please, whatever you do, listen to this. Because this is the message. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. To darkness and gloom and storm. I'm talking to you people of God. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken. Because they could not bear what was commanded. It's the children of Israel. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. We are told here that that's not the mountain we've come to. But here it is. But you have come to the mountain of Zion. To the heavenly Jerusalem. To the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's the mountain that we live on. That's the message that we need to hear. We don't, we don't have to live on the mountain of fear and worry and deceit any longer. We have a different mountain to live on, a mountain where Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, speaks a better word over all of our worries, over all of our money, over all of our pain, over all of our past. He speaks a better word. You get it? It's a better word. 
By his sprinkled blood, he's able to speak the better word. Jesus speaks to us a very divergent message, and he has shed his blood. And his word is better. So actually, because we live on this mountain, we aren't a people of fear anymore. Does the gospel actually free us to be real and not be hypocritical? Does it? If the gospel frees us to actually be real and not do what Ananias and Sapphira did, then why aren't we more real with each other? I did a study of submarines this week. Submarines. I wanted to find out what, how deep they could go. By the way, do you know what color they paint submarines? Just a piece of trivia. Black. Why? Simple. So they're not seen. You know, they feel that the black color would be better. So they have these 300 foot submarines that are three stories high that wander the oceans of the world. Stealthily. That's what I am, by the way. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a deep black submarine who is very content to live right below the surface with everything in my life. Do you follow? Periscope depth, right up off. I can see everything. I'm in control of everything. But God forbid that anybody would know what's really going on in my heart like Ananias and Sapphira. You know I press you on this a lot because I want you to know I'm in this journey myself. I was, I was so convicted about this this week that I had to t- have one of my brothers when we went out to lunch. And we had, we had the session. We did what I call now Alvin. You know what Alvin is? Alvin is a deep submersible sub, three man, that can go to 14,764 feet down. We didn't quite get to 14,000, but we got into double digits. And it was good. And it was quid pro quo, back and forth. It wasn't just me. It was both of us being brothers in the midst of the pain and the junk of our lives, sharing back and forth, standing on a holy mountain that said, the Lord's word is better than anything that we could possibly have heard on the fearful mountain before. Do you follow? That's the message. The message is that the gospel frees you to be that real. It really does. It's a really good message for us. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira didn't get the memo. Maybe we don't either. Let me think about that. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for what it means. Thank you for the convicting nature of it. Thank you for my friends here that I love deeply, that allow me to share my heart with them and allow me to share your word with them. We pray that you would use today, Lord, to cause us to think, cause us to be convicted, even even cause us to to uh, navigate through some of the deep places uh, of our lives, Lord. Give us the strength to do that. Go before us, Father. Go before us, Jesus. Help us. We thank you for uh, this day. We pray in your name. Amen.